Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist slaughtered innocent Islamic people extremists now control terrorists. much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Flash, America, these Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead, and their video is not gratuitous, and it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. This week's sponsor, as always, CIU, uh, Columbia International University, equips students with a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. And Zwemer Center. Uh, Zwemer Center equips the church to reach out to Muslims with understanding. And the Zwemer Center has been around since 1979. So they know this themselves. Yeah, they know what they're talking about. Uh, Zwemer Center is uh, zwemer.com. That's Z-W-E-M-E-R. I had, I had to spell it because people were asking. Right. Okay, here we are with episode 10. We've got an excellent interview that I'm super excited about today with, uh, well... We don't really know how to pronounce her name yet. Yet, but I'm going to go with Sharin Tabor. You, that's what I Howard, told you. To Howard say. says it's a shit in. <laughs> he has an Asian feel to it. I don't know. Maybe it's his Koreanness coming all, out. All right, listen, you listeners, please write in, be on my side. Sharin, Sharin. I said Sharin first. Anyway, she is the author of Muslims Next Door. That's put out by Zondervan, and also the book Wanting All the Right Things, and that's put out by Relevant. So, Muslims Next Door is the book that we're going to be talking about today, and I'm, I'm I'm excited. We've been looking at the book this morning, and it looks like good stuff. Yeah, it's really comprehensive. There's so much stuff that you can go through and just apply, I think, and help your uh, inform your understanding. Um, of Muslims, and she tells her story too, which is pretty cool. And that's what we kind of want to get to today. Absolutely, we because she she story. comes from uh, well, we'll let her tell the story, but just kind of as an intro, she has a Muslim father. Uh, her mother was Catholic. She is uh, American Iranian, and you know, being a uh, Iranian American, I don't. Which one do you say first? Actually, Iranian American or American Iranian? Well, I guess we'll for, let her say for me. Yeah, there you we'll go. Say Korean, Korean American. What's up with that? Korean American car, American Korean. Yeah, no, you Korean, do. You say Korean American. Korean Amer- American. So Iranian American, I think. Yeah, no, no, that'd, that'd be fine. Yeah. So anyway, she uh, she served with uh, Crew for twenty years. Wow, uh, that's a long time. Formerly known as Campus Crusade, I still can't. I have a hard time getting on board with Crew. I keep, you know, it's been Campus Crusade in my mind for so many years, and and I'm not even a fan of the word Crusade. I don't know if I ever have been, but Campus Crusade has got like an identity in my mind. Right, and Crew is sounds cool, and their logo, their new logo looks cool, but uh, I just don't identify that with them. But that's that's just me. Yeah, it's just going to take a while to rebrand, get us old guys out of there. Mm. Crew. So she served with Crew as a college student uh, and was 20 years um, in direct ministry in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East, wow. and uh, has been working with Muslims the whole time. And I just think, you know, she has a real, and, and that's why the title of this episode is uh, an insider's perspective or an insider's view. Um, she's going to give us the insider's view on Muslims Next Door because she has grown up as uh I guess with I would I would assume a, a multiplicity of identities. You know, having a Muslim father, Catholic mother, Iranian, American. Um, I just I'm really excited to hear her story. Right, me too. So, without further ado, yeah, let's give her a call. All right. 
Trevor. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing good. And this is Howard here. Hi. Hi, Howard. Good morning. <laughs> so we had a little bit of a, de- a debate before calling you on how to pronounce your name. Would you go ahead and settle that for us? Yes. Okay. So it's Shireen. Shireen. Oh, Shireen. We, we were off. Both of us lost. <laughs> Most people say Shireen. Oh, that's what we uh, said. Yes. But uh, it's Persian, and there is no in sound in, in that part of the world. So it's Shireen. It's a long E sound. I The second I is like a long E sound. Yeah. It, you know, it sounds much nicer when you say it. We butcher names. I don't know. <laughs> Shireen sounds nicer than Shireen. So we were both yeah, wrong. Shireen Tabor. Shireen Tabor. So my married name is obviously, you know, Anglo. Right. right. Yeah, we got that part right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. We've been uh, we've been looking at your book this morning, and we're really excited to hear about your story. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to sharing. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we just get started with uh, what what made you want to write this particular book? Yeah. Well, I um, you know I was very concerned after nine eleven, um, and I was getting calls from friends that were saying, "Are you okay?" We're worried about the backlash towards Muslims, even in America. I don't know if you know if you all uh, were following the, the news back then. That was quite a while ago. But no, uh, we were following it very closely. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, okay. I was on my way yeah, to see, a I don't church. Know how old you are? You you could be twenty four or you could be older and remember. I mean, a lot of the younger people don't really remember what happened. But right. uh, but uh, my point is that um, the uh, rate of uh, you know, prejudice acts or outlash, outlashes towards the Muslim community was quite high. And so it took me back to my childhood experience of experiencing the hostage crisis in 1979. And I was a young girl, but I, I very much remembered how it felt to feel like an outsider, and not only an outsider, but, you know, associated with the terrorist community. And um, and I felt like, wow, this is a great opportunity to share with my American neighbors, um, you know, who are these Muslims? Why have they come to America? What are they looking for? And for Christians in particular, you know, what an amazing opportunity we have to reach out to them um, at a time where they're feeling very vulnerable and misunderstood. Um, so really it was a book of um, uh, building bridges, um, encouraging the Christian uh, community to continue to move towards their Muslim neighbors in love, uh, addressing the fear and even hatred they might feel, um, and ultimately just equipping them a a handbook on what does that look like when you reach out to your Muslim co-worker, colleague, a student on campus. So I I don't really handle Islam or the theology other than uh, sharing some points we have in common, which might be a bridge in you know, sharing the gospel. Right. Yeah, so it's interesting because you, in, in light of 9-11, you, took, you didn't take a back seat. You went and took it to your American neighbors and tried to help, uh, help them understand and uh, uh, to reach out to them. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I was really, I was hoping it would be a different approach. It was a really uh, interesting experience while I was writing the book. I felt like I had uh, many moments where the Lord was saying, um, use this book to inspire people and to really help Christians identify the heart of the gospel, which is a message of love. And if you can't, if you can't experience love towards those who are hardest to love, then, you know, what good is the gospel? I mean, what good right. is the Christian life? And that's what we try life? to get across in the show, yeah. 
Yeah, Shireen, we, we call the show Truth About Muslims as opposed to Truth About Islam because we're much more interested in talking about Muslims than we are talking about the theology of Islam because yeah. it's the people that we're interested in. And so it's really interesting that yeah. you kind of you draw that distinction already. Um, we like you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a home with a Muslim father. I mean, in fact, right now he's been in and out of the hospital, and I just have to, it's hard, but I have to go back to you know, what has Christ called me to do? And wow. just serving him, even though he's still, I've asked him multiple times to really consider Christ and to pray with him, and he's, you know, still a Muslim, and that's where he's at, you know? And so God just, he continues to show me that I need to address issues in my own heart, and, um, you know, and, and as I'm transformed, then hopefully others will be transformed around me. You mentioned after 9-11 that it was uh, a reminder of what it was like um, as a child to go through the Iranian Revolution and feel like an outsider. Could you uh, give us a little bit more about that so that listeners can yeah. understand kind of your background? Sure, yeah. I mean, it was a really painful time. I was a young girl. I was uh, in junior high. And, you know, when you're in junior high, you just want to be as normal as possible. Right. Just, like, fly, fly under the radar. You're going through so many changes, you know, puberty and all that stuff. Right. And, Howard has um, a junior high uh, daughter, so he understands the awkward <laughs> years of junior high. Yes. Right, right, right. It's, it's a tough, tough time. I mean, you're looking around at your peers, and you just so much want to be like them. And I wasn't, you know, I... I really identify with the character in, uh, I don't know if you remember that movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> Excellent movie. That, I don't know if you remember, there was a scene where she had flashbacks of being in high school and, you know, all the cute blonde girls, and she just kind yes. of stuck out. Like a <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm I'm definitely, uh, you know, I'm part American, but um, because of my coloring and because I had moved back from Iran in fifth grade, um my teachers and, and classmates knew I was Iranian. You know, wow. There was no way to hide that. What, what state so were you? Had, what state was this that you were growing we were up actually in? in? Yeah, we were actually in Washington, Seattle, which is a pretty progressive area. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I mean, the hostage crisis was real. There were oh, people yeah. pinning up yellow ribbons everywhere and the news, and um, there were songs on the radio, bomb, 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 Iran. Gosh. And... <laughs> So, so and, uh, how did people react to you? Is did they know you well, were Iranian, they, or were you kind of like oh, yeah. uh, afraid to even say? Because I've heard this one particular Iranian comedian say that during the you know the nineteen seventy nine revolution, and then after not without my daughter, he wanted to change his name to Tony. <laughs> yes, yes, I have relatives that changed their names to Tony. Oh yeah. my! <laughs> yeah, and David and Mike and all wow. the other names. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, I can just say it was when I was, as a young girl, you know, 11, 12 years old, I was introduced to ideas of shame and guilt mm. at a very profound level. Wow. And, um, even though I was not a part of, you know, obviously the violence, I wasn't even there at the time, um, I felt associated with it. And I had teachers that stopped me in the hall and would say, Shereen, is it true that you're Iranian? You know, I heard that you're Iranian. <laughs> You know, what do you say? You're just looking at them wide-eyed. And then there'd be kids in the hall, boys in particular, that, you know, would kind of rough house and tease me and, you know, push my brothers around in particular who were a little younger than me, push them around near the, you know, bathroom and make jokes about, you know, taking hostages. Um, oh, my well, gosh. Know, we, got, 
Yeah, we got through that, but I just remember looking around and thinking, oh, I just want to feel normal. I just want to be a normal kid. You know, why do I have to have this stigma associated with me? Uh, flash forward, you know, six, seven years later, I, you know, started walking with Christ through a neighbor. I can tell that story more later, but um, a group of Christians who were with Campus Crusade for Christ treated me completely different. They're like, wow, that's so exotic. That's so amazing that you're from, you know, your parentage is from Iran. And that's they, so cool. They, they're like, wow, think of all the things you can do in life because you are multicultural. And um, they challenged me actually to embrace my heritage and then, of course, use it for the kingdom. Um, well, Shireen, it sounds like that would be something that a lot of listeners would like to know. So what was it that actually drew you to Christ through these folks? Like a little bit about your testimony, because it seems like so many Muslims right now are in that same boat that you're in. They just want to feel normal. Everything they see in the media is, yeah. is demonizing them. And so what what was it about these people that drew you to Jesus? Yeah, well, um, you know, the, I did, my mother was Catholic, so I had some knowledge of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the you know, the inciting incident, for example, would be my mother passed away uh, a year later in 1980, and uh, we had a neighbor across the street who came in and just completely took over, and uh, the enormity of her love and her service to my family was, uh, I mean, I'd never seen that before. She just, you know, provided meals and carpooled us and, you know, fed us and, got his Christmas gifts, and just her love, and then, of course, then she began to share Christ with us, and, you know, sharing that I couldn't, you know, how could I go through with my mother's death and, and approach my future alone, and so she encouraged me to receive Christ, and, um, you know, it was so compelling because her lifestyle backed up her words. So uh, it seems like Pamela was pretty influential in you coming to know Jesus. Yes, she was. She was a neighbor that lived um, across the street. Even though she had three children of her own, she made time for our family, and she um, she just provided for us in ways that were extraordinary. And um, providing meals, she had the church praying for us. Um, you know, she made time out of her schedule to help us with getting us to sporting activities and including us in her family and taking us to church. All these things, you know, combined um, uh, just gave a magnitude to her her, uh, her sharing Christ with us. Yeah, I and, uh, it doesn't seem like that's very normal within, you know, an American context. Like if you were in Iran and, and you knew a neighbor that maybe had lost a mother, that you would see a lot of people kind of reaching out. But in, in the United States, we don't often see that. So that's pretty amazing for this lady to take that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she did. She just, she was an exceptional human being. But you know what? It serves an, as an example, as a template for me. And, um, you know, I've followed her lead over the years, and we've had a lot of students and people in her home and sharing Christ with them, and that's just the power of, you know, a role model, a disciple, someone who really takes it seriously. You know, God's call for us to to uh, love our neighbors as ourselves, and I saw it firsthand. I continue to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you get the chance... Uh to travel at all through the Middle East, um, and what were some of your experiences, or maybe even Iran? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. 
So after I graduated from the University of Washington, um, I, you know, I felt a call on my life to, to serve internationally. And so I joined uh, the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was uh, very involved in campus ministry with college students. And I lived and worked in the Middle East and in Europe and the U.S., um, and I traveled extensively throughout um, North Africa and the Middle East, including Iran. Um, some trips were, you know, more just to uh, to visit, and uh, others were trips where we actually working and serving the minority churches in that region. Right in your book, so, you yeah. me- in your book you mentioned uh, when you tried to go back to Iran after you had been married. Oh yeah, that was a yeah. really interesting story. Yeah, t- tell us, tell us about <laughs> uh, that. What happened there? Forgot about that. Well, I, I came to find out, initially I thought it would be no big deal to travel back to Iran to visit my dad. He really wanted me to come back and visit him. And I was about 30 years old and, um, you know, relatively newly married, and I had two little kids, and I thought it would be a piece of cake, and I found out I needed a passport to go to Iran. Right. Um, and oh, I uh, an Iranian passport. Yes. Wow. Yes. And uh, it's uh, come to find out that because of my heritage, they viewed me as uh, Iranian and uh, like my father, and so therefore I had to have a passport, uh, Iranian passport, to travel there. It was really difficult. Um, this part, I don't know if I can share too much about this uh, in the interview, but um, it's really tough being... Uh, you know, a follower of Christ and traveling into that part of the world. And so they challenged me on several levels about, you know, my marriage certificate, that it was a Christian wedding, and they challenged me on a lot of issues. It was really tough to get the paperwork to be able to travel. So I did finally, I was able to go, um, but it was very difficult getting in and out, and I I probably won't be doing that again in the near future. Yeah. So, um, so for their for the government, the government was asking you questions about your faith and your religion. Yes. Wow, yes. that's interesting. They didn't that, understand why I was not Muslim like my father. Yeah, wow. it seems like there would be no context for an Iranian that wasn't Muslim, and it must have threw them into a little bit of a confusion. Yeah, they did not. Well, they didn't recognize my Christian wedding certificate. They said that I was not legally married according to their their laws. Uh, and I would have to have a Muslim Muslim wedding to be considered legally married. Oh man! And um, yeah, that my children were not my children; they were my husband's children. Wow. So it was really tough. But I I went back seven times and uh, was able to finally get the documentation. But it's it's really tough, really tough to travel to that part of the world. I yeah. don't don't recommend it unless you uh, you you know you really have everything in order and you're ready to, yeah to deal with those those challenges. Shireen, what what has it been like uh, for your relationship with your father um, being Christian? And you mentioned your father being being Muslim. Would you be okay with sharing a little bit about what that's been been yeah. like for you and him? Yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up in a home where you know my parents. You know, they chose to marry each other. My mother was Catholic. My father was Iranian and Muslim. Uh, we lived a blended life of cultures and languages and traditions. Um, so we've navigated it, you know, as a family all these years. Um, definitely there are some points that we don't, uh, we don't talk about, um, uh, just because there, there can create misunderstandings and, uh, 
you know, some of the projects I've done over the years, I don't share those with my family, my, my um, Iranian relatives. Right. Uh, some are for security reasons. Some are just, you know, they're um, outside the box for them. But uh, in general, it's it's been an amazing opportunity because it's it's part of my heritage. That's what compels me to continue to share and continue to work in that part of the world and resource that part of the world. Um, I live with attention every day, mm. every day, and I think um, it's compelling. And you know, it, it w- I have friends that their parents have come to faith in Christ, and they just pretty much go on with their lives and they embrace you know, the American dream, and 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 yet I feel like, you know, I'm regularly reminded that I can't just forget about that part of the world and the Muslim people, that it's still, you know, a part of my life. And my kids' lives. My kids have grown up with, um, you know, Muslim relatives. My stepmom, oh, right. my dad remarried a very devout Muslim woman, so when she stays with us, she prays five times a day in her home, and, and they see so that. my kids are right. confronted with that. Yeah, and it's, but, you know, it's good. It just keeps everything very real. You know, we watch the news as a family, and my kids are drawn to those stories of ISIS, and my son is uh, in college and wants to go and actually serve in that region. Um, oh, wow. You know, why? Because it's part of his heritage, and he feels like he's part of that great story. Right. He wants to participate. And, yeah. and, and you mentioned heritage. Is it difficult for you to separate... Um, the 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 is the Islam or Muslim uh, from the from the heritage of uh, Iran? No, no, they're so uh, no, not at all. Because um, you know, the Iranians are they are a culture unto themselves. They're different than the Arabs, or they're different than the Turks. Right. And there are things that are things that are that are you know Iranian in nature that are different than Islam. And, you know, most Iranians would tell you that they were not Muslim to begin with. You know, they were conquered mm. by the Arabs. And and then more recently, in light of the regime change, um, where they were under a monarchy and now they're under, you know, religious total, uh, dictatorship, right. um, you know, they're very aware of how their lifestyles have changed. But if you get inside their homes or their parties, um, they're fully Persian. <laughs> they're fully Iranian. Um, so it, there is a distinction. But, you know, they, they're still Muslim. They're not going to say they're anything else. Right. But I think, um, I think that's one of the misconceptions that people often have is that there is no distinction between cultural identity and religious identity, and they just kind of see these as, you know, intricately weaved together and inseparable. Uh, but it sounds like you're saying that, you know, you can be... Uh, fully Persian and also a follower of Christ, and there's uh, no problem with that for you. That's that's very encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so looking at um, 9-11, um, you said that, that kind of promoted a lot of the misconceptions that were going around. What were some of the misconceptions that followed 9-11 that prompted you in, in writing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was just uh, struck with how, and I'm sure this has happened all throughout history, but how quickly... Um, you know, uh, an event or something that happened in one location in the world would affect, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of people that were not associated with that at all. Right. And I, you know, and, and if you really do know your Muslim neighbor or colleague or coworker, for the most part, 90% of the time, they're fairly moderate, they're fairly secular, 
And the very reason why they come to this country is because they're looking for the same things that we're looking for. They're looking for, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of thought. They want to, you know, raise, if they have daughters, they want to raise their daughters in a, a society that promotes equality and will give their kids every opportunity that they can. And so, um, you know, but so quickly you forget those things and just kind of canvas the whole Muslim world as if, um, you know, they are exactly like what we're seeing right now in the news, you know, ISIS and so forth. Now, I don't want to diminish the fact that there are elements in Islam uh, that very quickly can blow up and turn into, like, what we're seeing in Islam. No no pun intended. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There there are things that, you know, uh, we can't identify with where you can have very quickly in the Middle East a mob mentality. You can have, but I don't, think that needs to be a fear for us here in America. Right. Um, and, and you do mention have, a little bit in the book about sort of the historical background be- between some of that mob mentality that's kind of been perpetuated, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I, um, one thing I've tried to share with my colleagues, even some who are uh, in Christian full-time ministry, and they'll get frustrated with um, um believers in Christ who come from a Muslim heritage, you know, let's say a Christian, uh, Iranian Christian or Arab Christian, but they've only been a Christian for 10 years or 20 years. And they'll make comments, you know, where they will um, disparage them. And I have to remind them, you know, we are a first generation of believers. I'm a first generation in a line of, uh, that goes back, you know, 1600 years to Muhammad. And so my life as a Christian is going to look different than someone who comes from a heritage where their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents were, you know, Christian and going to church and established these disciplines and, you know, things that we take for granted. Those are things that are passed on from generation to generation, how you mm-hmm. live your life, your morals, your values, your your integrity, your, you know, believing that lying, for example, is, is not a good thing, or whatever it is. Right. And um, so my point is that... <laughs> You know, we as a nation have embraced um, freedom of speech or uh, First Amendment or going back in time, you know, the Enlightenment and the Protestant, you know, Reformation, all these things that have shaped our psyche and our value system. But when you're coming from the Middle East, these are fairly new ideals, and for some people, they don't even accept them. So we just need a lot of patience in, in relating to our... Muslim neighbors, and then those who even come to Christ we need to realize that these things will be played out in two and three generations. That is an amazing so, point. I've never, I've never thought about that. I've, I've always known about uh, cultural differences between Muslim background believers, but I just never thought, I, yeah. ne- I never thought in those terms and just how much their, just their worldview might be completely different than, than someone that has a, a heritage of uh, uh, Christian faith. That, that's amazing. Yes, very much so. And so I always say, hey, it's going to take two or three generations. Right. Please be, please be gracious with my brother or sister. <laughs> right, absolutely. You know, when you get frustrated with their worldview. Um, and I see those changes in my household. You know, I married, uh, uh, you know, a guy who's white and Lutheran and, uh-huh. and you know, blue eyes. And, and then I see that, you know, his his way of living and thinking has affected my children. And even though my children have a Persian or Iranian heritage and their grandfather's Muslim, I see um, the things that my husband has added to their lives. Um, But I still hang on to some of our Iranian culture too, because there are things that are beautiful in 
in the Middle East that I want my kids to hang on to. Right. Yeah. I was kind of wondering, Shireen, if there's uh, maybe some things in the Iranian worldview that would maybe challenge some of our Western views of theology and the ways that we relate to God. And maybe uh, we could learn a great deal from Muslims that come to know Jesus and think about God differently than maybe we do. Could you share maybe some of those things that you've seen in in the church in the West? Definitely. I mean, I can share more uh, later, but... Uh, you know, the, the way I raise my kids, honestly, I mean, there is this aspect of um, biblical Christianity and our values, but then there are things in Iranian culture, things like hospitality and, mm-hmm. and modesty and, you know, showing respect to uh, our elders, right. um, serving people when they come in our home, you know, that our guests are first. All these things, these are things that I learned through my Iranian heritage. I did not learn mm-hmm. this you know, just living in American culture. Now, I'm not saying it's not there. It is, I'm sure there are, it is there. You do have to but, look hard uh, for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just watch TV all day and you're on the Internet, you're not going to learn it. it. It really has to be something <laughs> passed down from your grandparents or you just, you know, you're part of an amazing community. Um, but, yeah, my girls in particular, I find it's very, uh, much more difficult to raise daughters here than it would be in a, you know, not in a, I'm not saying a Muslim context, but an Iranian context. Right. Where time they're very little, it's just a given that you're hospitable and you're modest and you're polite and you're, you're goal-oriented, um, but you still, you know, you work towards showing respect to your parents. And, you know, and not that every Iranian or Middle Eastern home is perfect, but those are definitely ideals that are sewn into the culture. Again. Right. We yeah. see that as a common theme. You're right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I, I I see that too. Like with my girls, um, Howard's Korean, by the way. I, yeah, I'm Korean. My 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 wife is American, um, and so we. Oh, okay. Right. Great. And so we have kind of that interesting thing too that we we kind of see them picking up certain things, but it's difficult when the rest of their peers um, are not learning these things, or it, it's not being reinforced by the culture around. And so something that you're trying to instill in your in your daughters. You know, it's it's being yeah. countered by the world, by the by the culture we live yeah. in. So, it, yeah, I totally yeah. understand. It, it's difficult. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think we share a lot in common as yeah, Asian and Middle Eastern the way we, yeah, the way we raise our kids. So uh, in, in your book, uh, Shireen, you mentioned that one of the key components is being able to uh, live your Christian faith uh, authentically with your Muslim friends. Could you give us like a few examples of what you mean? What does it mean to live an authentic Christian faith with Muslims? Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to share that um, the idea of living authentically is to not be ashamed of the fact that you're a Christian. That oftentimes Muslims, when they come to the U.S., or even if they were to meet you in their homeland, if you're an American, or even if you have an Asian or African heritage, they're going to assume that you are a Christian. Mm. Uh, they may not understand what it means to fully be committed and surrender to Christ, but they're just going to assume you are. So you don't need to make any apologies for who you are in your faith. Right. In yeah. fact, they're going to be that's a little they're bit different. Curious. Yeah, they're going to be curious to see, okay, what does this look like in, you know, the modern world? What does this look like 
day-to-day in a workplace or in the context of a friendship or, you know, on campus or in your marriage. And so, um, yeah, there's no reason to uh, make excuses or, if anything, live it out boldly and dynamically. And then the other point I would make is, um, you know, just roll through life with your Muslim friends. We don't have to uh, always be doing spiritual activities with people to somehow point them to Christ. Yes, of course, you know, it would be awesome if you could invite them to church or a small group uh, and offer to pray with them and to give them a scripture or to point them to some uh, media, perhaps um, Christian broadcasting or, or Christian films. But ultimately, they have to see you just living your life. You know, it's, it's having dinner parties and, um, you know, going, if you're a parent, you know, being standing next to each other on the soccer field and cheering on your kids. And if, if they're struggling in uh, a relationship or in their marriage, you know, really taking an interest and in offering to walk with them through that. Mm. Um, realizing that Muslims, they oftentimes feel very deeply, whether they're grieving the death of someone or a broken relationship, that you just enter into life with them and just, you know, be Christ to them as much as you can. It, um, it's really interesting. That, it's really interesting that you yeah. say that, Shireen, because in our context, we think of uh, the gospel as being something that we hope to eventually get to in relationships, and we kind of have this friendship evangelism, and then you know maybe a year from now we tell someone we're Christian. But with a Muslim, you're saying, go ahead, dive right in, live boldly for Christ in front of them, that they actually are anticipating and expect that from you. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And you never know how God is going to work. I've been in friendships with Muslims where I'll think, oh, wow, this could be like a three-year, you know, marathon. And then within three months or even three weeks, I will see significant shifts and and very deep conversations and people even praying to receive Christ. Wow. Receiving Christ, they don't even, yeah, they don't even know that they're actually crossing a line spiritually. They may not even call themselves a Christian initially, but they want Christ. They want to experience this dynamic relationship with God. And so you just don't know how things are going to play out. And so my advice is love them passionately and enter in and just roll through life. You don't need to make a lot of changes in your schedule. Just you know, invite them to participate as much as possible. I love how non-programmatic you're making it sound. It sounds so organic where this is just going to be a natural fruit of you entering into life with them mm-hmm. and then them seeing that authentic uh, authenticity in there in your life and how much you do love Christ and how that just kind of shows through in everything you do. And it kind of takes the, I think it takes the pressure off for our listeners to have to be like, um, scholars have a dynamic presentation, apologetics, you know, <laughs> yeah. all these kind of things, but you're just saying, Hey, live life, feel what you feel with them, yeah. show them Christ in your own life and, and things to happen. It's, R- it's redeeming really, the ordinary. Right. It really does, yeah, because they, like I said, they are curious, and they want to to see and learn, and uh, I've lived in Europe and, and the Middle East and the U.S., and like, I found that living in Paris, France, it was much tougher to talk to the French about the gospel, Wow. Uh, whereas the Muslim, because they are growing up with a worldview where they already have a respect and reverence for God, most of them do. Some are very secular, and they're still searching themselves, but for the most part, they do. And so if you find those commonalities and then you can show them how it, what it looks like just in everyday life, you know, whether you're dating or married or you have new children or you're, you know, looking for a new job and just what that 
looks like. They find it very attractive. And, the, and I guess my last point would be is um, really challenge yourself to see them with eyes of love. I, I feel like too often we look, and I'm not, I'm not sure about your audiences, but at least my generation uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, oftentimes evangelism was seen almost like a project. You had yes. to convince someone. We, used, we appealed to reason and logic. And I'm finding more and more that it's really, again, about a relationship. Just as we have a relationship with God, we need to have a relationship with one another. And as I pursue love in my relationship with Muslims, I find that's where I'm transformed and then they're transformed. And um, so, yes, we need to understand theology and scriptures and, you know, their worldview. But ultimately, it's the relationship that will point them to Christ. Yeah, this is becoming a theme, I think, with a few of the people that we've we've interviewed. I'm thinking uh, last week we had uh, Matthew Stone on, and he he was mentioning that you know apologetics can be really good, especially for the Christian to understand their own faith. But ultimately, yeah. you're not going to find where Jesus kind of sits a person down and says, "You need to understand these three propositional truth statements about me." Um, it's more of a follow me relational model of evangelism, and his his mindset was we're to present ourselves and present Christ through us to people, and to do it in that relational context. So it's really it's interesting that you're kind of hitting on that same theme. Yeah, very much so. And you know, Muslims are trained from early childhood to to basically debate any other worldview or Christianity. Right. So we don't want to start there. <laughs> we don't want to start there. We want to just start with sharing our lives, and as those questions naturally surface, then of course we need to address them. And, and, and you said, you mentioned that uh, um, the Muslims that you've met and known uh, feel things very, very deeply, right? And so I think some of the things yeah. that, uh, that we're talking about here is maybe engaging the heart over the mind at, at, at a certain level. Right, because their minds have maybe been engaged with what they've been taught uh, as children, um, but then yeah. when you engage the heart, it's like an, a whole different element mm-hmm. with uh, with them seeing how we love Christ and we live for Christ and we follow Christ, and it's not an obligation; it's really relational. And yeah, yeah. So maybe it, it seems um, like it's an engaging a totally different aspect of of uh, of the person. So yeah. Really I agree, cool. and I've been told that. I've been told that, you know, Westerners from a, from an Iranian Muslim, he'll tell you a Westerners approach life often with their head, and that a Muslim, you know, will approach life first from their heart and passion and conviction, and then, of course, you know, they re- use reason and logic. Right. But they start with, with their, kind of their gut, I guess, or their heart. Right. And, uh, and so that's, that's even where a- they make their connections. Mm-hmm. That's even that common ground uh, that we have. If if we're uh, these passionate Christians that really love the Lord, have a relationship with the Lord, it it maybe hits common ground with these with these Muslims that um, are very passionate. You know, so yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think often they're looking for for people of faith, and they can share some commonality with someone that has a deep adoration for God and in Christ and. Shireen, would you say that that's uh, a starting point? Is just maybe talking about your own uh, love for God and, and seeing where a Muslim's at and seeing where where they're at with their own relationship with God? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you share life and you hear about their pain, which is you know all mankind experiences cha- challenges and pain, mm-hmm. but just very gently volunteering how you work through your challenges and pain, and whether it's going to God prayer or spending quiet time and, and praying and, and writing and reading and journaling and you know seeking advice from trusted people. Um, yeah, just sharing your journey and then just kind of guiding that conversation. 
gently and then ultimately to Christ. So how has prayer um, been received by your Muslim friends when you offer to pray with them? I'm assuming pray with them for the things that they're struggling with. Well, I found, again, if, if you have a relationship, and it can happen very quickly in a matter of even just days, but if you've established a relationship and you have the privilege of, you know, entertaining them and, and, and get, revealing your life and sharing and hearing from them, then as you listen and the Spirit moves you, then you can just offer to pray for different things. And I just, just say, hey, you know, before we leave today, can I pray for you? And we'll find a quiet place and um, and pray for them. So uh, it's not that different than how you would live your life with uh, your Christian friends. Um, so you're again, saying, so they, they don't... They don't mind. No, it's an act of love. It's such an intimate, vulnerable uh, place to go with a friend. Not at all. Not at all. Oh. See, I've only found it to be very positive. Now, you have to earn that trust. And like I said, it can take a little bit of time. But, you know, if you find yourself in a situation, let's say someone's a, a, a student on a campus and they're living on a dorm floor with someone or they have a neighbor across the street and they begin sharing about their lives and then that person... Muhammad or Layla or whoever begins to reveal something difficult, then yes, you can stop right then and say, you know, before we end our time or before I leave, can I just pray with you for a few minutes for this this concern? I think that's a great point. Like, I don't know, that's kind of a mark, even in our relationship, Western relationships would be if someone starts sharing their heart with you, you know, like I think a Christian would automatically think, well, let's go to prayer. So if a Muslim comes and you have that relationship and they're sharing something you know, that's, that's deep or, or, or painful that that's a mark of trust. And yeah, I mean, I think that'd be a great, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of a sign that, you know, yeah, let's, 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 let's bring the Lord into this and, and talk and, and have prayer. So yeah. that's, that's cool. Yeah. I think it's hard yeah, for us sometimes to understand because we think of secular Americans that we wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable going there in prayer because we don't want to offend, but it sounds like you're saying that, that Muslims, that's the correct place to go. I think it's very possible. And, you know, more and more, a lot of the younger Muslims are very secular. So we have to, you know, again, assess the situation. Right. And I'm, you do that through body language. You look at their eyes. You look at their posture. You know, are they leaning in? Or are they leaning away from you? You know, you, you listen to their tone of their voice. And as you, you assess these things and you feel like, you know, we're at a comfortable place, then, yeah, you can definitely share your life and, and, and offer to pray or go deeper in your conversation. Um, it's, it's not something really difficult to do. It's just really, you know, looking at that person saying, how can I serve them? How can I, you know, be where they are rather than trying to have an agenda and take them to a place that we want them to go. Right. It's out of really a, a real deep concern. Right. It's yeah. like you really do want them to meet Christ, not just because you want a, a notch on your belt. Yeah. Because, but you love yeah. them and your your heart's breaking for them and yeah I I, I see yeah. what you're saying that's great yeah I think yeah. I think I read something recently from Carl Mandera saying something along those lines about reaching out in love and loving another person not just so that you can get a notch on your belt whether or not they respond or not doesn't change the fact that we are to reach out in love and genuinely loving somebody means sitting down with them and and joining them in their pain and, and their life and their struggles and praying with them and just hoping that the Holy Spirit works in their lives. And I think it takes a lot of pressure off of us. So I, I find it really encouraging, Shireen, what you're sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm blessed to, to talk with you. And um, 
yeah, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And I find that actually reaching out to Muslims helps me to be more confident reaching out to other people. You know, it's like when you can overcome those fears and those barriers, you, you realize that people are people and right. they all need to be loved. And we need to handle everyone carefully. And the, the goal is really to honor the Lord and um, just be the best example we can be in loving others. Right, and that's that's kind of what our show is about. Like, we really want to help Christians uh, in America that are hearing our podcast to really like. Maybe I mean, maybe they're on the fence. Maybe they're like, "Yeah, I know I should," but they don't have the heart for Muslims, and they don't they don't they don't see them as real people. Maybe they're just buying into everything the media is saying. And we're trying to get them off mm-hmm. the fence and saying, "No, no, no, no! Christ is bigger than that. Christ is bigger than our nationality. Christ is bigger than than our pol- uh, political stances. You know." Uh, our prejudices yeah. and that, that we have a responsibility as Christians to go beyond that. And we try to portray that on the show. And sometimes it's easy. Sometimes, uh, you know, we're just hoping for the best, you know, and yeah. Um, last thing, could you tell us a little bit about the visual story network and what you and your husband are doing with that? Yes. Yes. So we were actually serving with the Jesus film project for seven years in Southern California. And um, my husband was asked to take this new initiative which was um, helping multiple um, ministries and churches learn how to use media more effectively for oh, okay. the gospel for them. And so he created this network where um, literally hundreds of ministries and leaders collaborate on projects to use media more effectively. So whether it's through the big screen or through uh, even your, your your mobile phone, you know, how do you create content for your phone? Right. And they use it for storytelling, films, documentaries, um, messaging, branding, whatever. And so um, we assist agencies in, in developing media and getting them the training, or we have a network of producers and directors you know, to create content. That's so amazing um, that you're able to use technology to, to further the gospel and, and teaching other people how to yeah, do that. Yeah, we yeah, we love it. We just did a story workshop in L.A. two weeks ago with 48 different mission agencies and churches, and we taught them story structure, content, um, and you know how to use story properly to share your message. That's so um, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the idea of collaboration. It's so hard these days to get people to collaborate on things, and it's just neat that you have so many yeah. different mission agencies working together on this. Yes, yes, exactly. And raising the bar, you know, really trying to improve our craft we really appreciate you um joining us today and and taking time out of your busy schedule so thanks so much and uh we look forward to to doing this again and and getting to hear more about what the lord is doing in your life and how he's working through you uh to share the love of christ with muslims so hopefully in the future we can call on you and uh get you back on the show and we'll be sure to offer uh listener feedback to you as we get it very good thank you god bless you both have a great day All right, so that was the interview with Shireen Tabor. Now that we've uh, we've settled the bet on how to pronounce uh, Shireen's name, it's right. neither Shirin or Shirin. And it's funny that she actually mentioned Shirin because <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm really wrong." <laughs> well, I, I spoke to her once on the on the phone earlier, and I think I did call her Shirin. And I, I bet she's just been called that for so long; she probably just doesn't correct people anymore and right. tells them the right the right name. But Shireen does sound much nicer, I think. <laughs> I, th- I thought Shireen's uh, my last name's Key, but everyone calls me Kai because it's spelled K I. Yeah. Kai, so I don't I don't even say anything. Or, but if they call me Harold, I'll call, I'll kind of call him out. I get called Kevin all the time. 
<laughs> Honestly, I have no idea why. I think it's because Trevor and there's a you know the V sound in the middle of the name, and it's just they remember Kevin or Travis. Anytime I think of Kevin, I think of the guy in the office. <sighs> anyway, man, Travis. I really appreciate uh, Shireen's perspective, though. I think she brought a perspective that um, we haven't heard. Yeah, any of our other I, I was interviewees. Just, I was just thinking, like it just felt different than some of these other guys that we've interviewed. Not that they're any better; it's just kind of a different feel. I felt like it was, you know, extremely relational, very much more like um, where other people just listening to this podcast, you listeners listening to this podcast, could just hear and access kind of her heart and what she was saying and how to how to live her uh, how to live your faith out in real tangible, simple ways. Um, and make a make a huge impact. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, the idea of being authentic and just, uh, I don't know, I was looking for like a magic recipe or something, but when she started to break it down, it was basically saying, just live your life with people. Right. And that's uh, actually more challenging than it sounds because everybody's so busy. But right. I think that's what right. she's saying is we have to actually take Muslims to the DMV, help them get their license, uh, go with them to the school and meet with the guidance counselor and do just the practical daily things that um, they need help with. Right. And, th- and I think that has to be a conscious decision on, on each of us. Cause I know for myself, I have five kids. I'm uh, you know, I have a ministry and then I do this part time. I'm busy, crazy. Want to hang out with my friends, have downtime. I, I'm not thinking about my neighbor and living life with them so much. And it just has to be kind of like this conscious decision. And you know, just to say, Trevor, I think you and your family do the amazing job at this. Uh, with the Muslim, the Muslims next, next door. door. Yeah, I actually do have Muslims in my neighborhood, and, and we and see they them. come over all yeah, the time. It's true. You know, yeah, and, and, we love and, them. And they've even did they invite you to kill a goat or something? Yeah, I've actually I've been part of more animal sacrifices than not here than sacri- I was. not sacrifices. <laughs> but yeah. No, I know it wasn't a goat. It was a cow. I was. Uh, <laughs> this is no joke. It was about 5.30 in the morning, and I got a phone call, and it was my neighbor saying, hey, what are you doing today? And I said, I'm going to work. And uh, he said, any any chance you can get the day off? And I thought, why? And I'm, trying, I'm thinking something's wrong, you know? It's so early in the morning. And uh, he said, well, we, uh, we bought a cow, and we want you to come <laughs> with us. We bought a cow. Oh, and I was like, wait a second, we're going to kill a cow? And they were like, yeah. And I thought, well... I think I could get off work for that. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, so we we went and uh, well, actually, when they were talking about how we we're going to kill it, I said, well, "What do you need me to do?" And they said, "We need you. We need help getting it down because you know, in, in Islam, you have to bring the cow down to the ground before oh. you can. You know, you have to actually slice the throat. There's no shooting it. You have right. to you have to cut the throat and bleed it out for the Eid sacrifice, which right. we'll talk about Eid sacrifice." On another show, many of you guys are wondering, what is the Eid sacrifice? Well, it actually has to do with with Abraham. So anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But this was an Eid sacrifice that was special because I had never sacrificed an animal that big. And so... Yeah, that's a big animal. Yeah. So you can imagine, I show up, there's three of us, and they're like, here, uh, you hold the chain. So I have this cow held um, by a chain. And I have it on video. We should put that in the show notes. Ooh, um, I haven't even seen this video. Yeah. It, it's great. You know, I'll preface it by saying it's not for everybody, you know. Right. Because um, you are killing a cow. Yes. And, oh, and, and uh, just to kind of give you listeners just kind of some warning. We, Trevor and I are both hunters, but we hunt to feed our family, not just for, we don't like to kill things. It's no, not, I love animals. Yeah. It's not like that. It, you know, so for some of you guys are an outrage. Don't, don't think that way. We're, Trevor's not excited about going to kill a cow just no. to kill a cow. But it's an interesting experience, and to do this with his neighbors, with Muslim neighbors, is 
And, and I had never killed a cow, so I was kind of interested in just what would that process right. look like, and are we going right. to wrestle this thing down, hold it down, and uh, so I'm cow I'm, tipping to the next level. Yeah, I was ready. Um, but anyway, we got out there, and a couple other guys showed up, and the cow was incredibly cooperative. Um, you know, what, he, he didn't know what was coming. I was so. like, "What does that mean?" He just like laid down for you. No, I mean, there's still a technique. You know, if you've ever like wrestled a dog and you try to get him down, you take the one leg and pull it, and then it falls. You, I don't know. Somebody's maybe deeply offended right now at the idea of taking that, down a cow. That's I'm, exactly I'm, what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. Someone's offended. But anyway, don't, be, don't be offended. This was all part of, you know, at some point there was a conversation about Abraham and the sacrifice and the, uh, what was uh, God ransoming Abraham's child from by providing uh, a sacrificial um, substitutionary lamb, essentially. That's what they're remembering, which is directly related to the gospel. So those of you that are deeply offended, just know that Jesus was talked about after the sacrifice of the cow. Mm. I hope that helps. Yeah, that helps no, me. Nonetheless, if you want to see the video, we'll put it in the show notes. It was uh, it was an interesting experience, especially for the uh, rural farmer who probably had never met a Muslim up until this point in his life. <laughs> and suddenly, the <laughs> suddenly there are a dozen guys, a dozen dudes all dressed in full-on you know, celebratory garb, and we all show up ready to wrestle a cow down and, and cut its throat. And uh, I, he watched the whole thing. I mean, he was fascinated. So anyway, it was a cultural experience for him, I'm sure. Okay, and here's another thing. Every time Trevor talks, I'm always thinking about something. Ooh, this needs to be said. This needs to be said. Because Trevor trying to get, just goes at it. Okay, so this means if you have a friend neighbor next door that is a muslim it doesn't mean that you're going to have to sell a uh, slaughter a cow with him okay but it does mean you might have the opportunity to well, see there you go again okay listen <laughs> it doesn't mean that it, it just means that you're going to live life together you're going to help them and encouragement they're going to be an encouragement to you right uh, aren't your muslim neighbors an encouragement to you absolutely i uh, you know shireen was talking about this in the interview that that there's a certain aspect of the culture that she's teaching her own children my own children, uh, I believe, are going to be um, fuller, m- more rich culturally um, humans because of their experience with these these Pakistani neighbors that I have. I mean, they they have known them since they were, you know, my youngest daughter was only a year old, and so wow. they've known them for the last four or five years, and we engage with them all the time and have great conversations about the world, about religion, about all kinds of things, about Jesus. And uh, my daughter regularly will pray for them. We pray for them as a family. We break bread with them. Um, and our greatest hope is that they might one day know Jesus as right. Savior. And something I noticed about Mr. Khan is that he knows that Trevor is, is very, very different. He's, he doesn't just kind of compartmentalize him as, as someone that's like the you know the general populace, kind of like what uh, uh, Shireen was saying about Pamela. She knew that Pamela was different, uh-huh. and it was really it's really neat to hear Mr. Khan's perspective on Trevor. He's just like, man, anything that if you're a friend of Trevor, I do anything for Trevor. That means I'll do anything for you. And I'm just like, man, what kind of impact has Trevor had on this guy's life just by living life together with this guy yeah. and, and his family? So it's 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 pretty neat. Yeah, I think Shireen really was bringing that that home that idea of being authentic living life with muslims and it was a it was a good challenge i don't know i we we don't like to generalize particularly on this show but i'm almost wondering is is maybe part of this the fact that that shireen is a woman and women are typically more relational i was just really challenged by her her views to be man we have to be more relational with muslims and so many times i find people wanting to win an argument or make a point and Shireen and my wife is this way. She's much more along the lines of just you know, just get to know people. 
Right. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'm you know, off base there, but I was just really encouraged well, I mean, like, by that. I think you're right. I mean, I don't think people are a, um, a checklist or a to-do list, right? I think people, um, you know, it's not like, okay, I need to go through uh, evangelism with them and, and get them to pray the sinner's prayer. It's, it's not even really like that at the beginning. Like I think as an, a, a relational approach, it's more like, you know, I'm really going to love them, have compassion for them. I'm going to pray for them. And, and as opportunities arrive, I'm going to uh, arise. I'm going to take those opportunities, but knowing that God is going to do this, you know, in, in this person and not us, not just take them through this, this program, turn them out like a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think sometimes we have that kind of mentality. Um, still, I think we're far farther away from that than we used to be as a church. Uh, in America, but I think that sometimes kind of comes up. I'm still stuck on just girls are more relational than guys. Right. You go to a party with your wife and like five minutes there, you know, they're yeah. talking about life issues and guys are still talking about football and that's the depth of the conversation. Right. The guys <laughs> are like, I'm, I'm, let's go home, honey. Uh, so anyway, I, yeah, I was encouraged. I really appreciated her views on culture, on looking at uh, the Iranian revolution and just being able to connect with how a lot of Muslims probably feel today when they feel very stereotyped. They feel very alone, isolated. Just uh, the world is looking at them through a lens that probably doesn't feel very good. And so we have to we have to bring a different uh, answer like Pamela did for her. Right. Please check out Shireen's book, uh, The Muslim uh, Muslims Muslims Next Door. Next Door. And like you said, Amazon's a great, easy place to pick it up. And it's on um, Kindle. Too, yeah, so we'll, can, we'll add it in the show notes as well and right. put a link there. Um, I got the book this morning. I got the e-version and uh, was just flipping through it, and it had some very good stuff and yeah, uh, very, very helpful. Very easy, enjoyable to read, and yeah, so... Anyway, so that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Jo- uh, join us next week. Uh, we have another special guest. Uh, yeah, we're actually next week going to be talking about the text, the Quran. And we're going to have a uh, what I would consider to be one of the foremost experts on the Quran, uh, Dr. Peter Riddell. And he's going to join us and discuss uh, the text and kind of look at it from a perspective of how can two people read the same text and come up with radically different views. So those of you that are more uh, the textual folks, uh, be sure to tune in next week. So thanks so much for listening. Check out the website, truthaboutmuslims.com, and be sure to spread the word. We'll see you next week.